All of that is true, but I want to be very clear that I am not a doctor. I'm not prescribing this that, hey, any problem you have, stage four cancer, all you got to do is breathe, everybody. It's cool. I would never, ever say that. Breathing in a healthy way will only benefit you, okay? I can say that. It may benefit you a very small amount. It may completely change your life and transform you, but it's only a net gain. So everyone is different. Everybody breathes differently. Everyone has a slightly different problem. You will benefit from better breathing. You'll have to find out for yourself how much you will benefit. And as you mentioned, yes, this is something we do all the time from the moment you're born to the moment you die all day long, all night long. So if you can improve your breathing in that process, you will definitely benefit. And I found people who have massively transformed their health, hundreds and hundreds of them. They write me every day by just fixing their breathing. Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. Woo! Hello, hi. I'm Dave. And I'm Sorry, Steve. A bit too excited there. Um, so how are you guys today? Um, not bad. I'm sitting here eating chocolate, drinking mushroom tea. It's, it's cordyceps mushroom tea, because I like it. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah, yeah. you drink I'm, mushroom I'm tea I'm very excited days. as well about this podcast. Why? I really am Because you I get am. to breathe loads No well, even today Even the last couple of days Learning about it Like on Saturday I was kind of going Okay we're, we're interviewing James Nestor Like I better start nasal breathing When I'm running And I was trying like And I was like a windbag I was like an old wheeze bag Running down the road And so I'm going, <gasps> Like it's just hard To nasal breathe And try to keep up The same speed as usual Yeah and you tape your mouth Every night don't you Yeah I tape my mouth Every night like a Gimp or something. <laughs> I, I don't know what you call it, like, but I do like. I'll, I'll have to say, oh, nights have, and then I'll like have to lean over and get my my roll of tape, and and I've got one that goes across and two that go down, and I'm like, mm, 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 mm. Yeah. and that's <laughs> so kind of it, like you know. So, and you yeah. wake up with it still on, or uh, usually I'm like such a serial mouth breeder that it's fallen off. I've ripped it off. It's on the floor. I've managed to half make it open. Like you yeah, know, I'll have one out of ten. I'm a success. I'd say that I'm nasal breeding, and I'll be like, I'll nearly wake and sab up if I. I managed to sleep right the way through it. You know, I'd be really excited, which is weird. What are you like with your nose? I used to wear a mouth guard, like a thing to stop myself grinding at night. Uh, and I, I used to think that worked. And then I just stopped using the grinder. And now I think I'm just a nasal breather because like, this is my little m metric is if I wake up feeling like my mouth is very um, dry. dry, I breathe it through my mouth all night because typically there's huge, a lot more moisture loss through breathing through your mouth. And when I breathe through my nose, I don't have that. So that's my little metric. And because you know the importance around nasal breathing, is that something you'd be like to your kids? An added list to breathe through your nose. You're not breathing through your nose. Breathe through your nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. Well, uh, even even the last couple right. of days, nose uh, reading breathing. more about it and learning more about it. Like I, I'm going to, this evening, I'm going to make sure, Let's. I'm just going to be observing them a lot more. And kind of, yeah, I was listening to a friend and he's the same. Like he'll say, his kids will say, oh, that man's nasal, that man's breathing. He's a mouth breather. Yeah. You know, like that's a bad even, thing. The, the Tony will have that expression, you know, your nose is for breathing, your mouth is for talking. It's for eating, for eating. Yeah. So yeah. to anyone listening right now, take a moment. Have you been breathing through your mouth or through your nose? Yeah, good one. Yeah, because you'll learn more about this now. And that's really the crux of this. I was trying to kind of, I was chatting with a few people about like, uh, James's book and I was saying well boil down to one sentence breathe through your nose breathe longer breathe slower and that's kind of the crux, crux which sounds so simple but you need all the information to make you try to do this because and it's to understand fascinating how vital it is for our health and for just us as a species performance anxiety like there was a great expression a friend uh, Niall was saying earlier or Neil was saying earlier he was saying like how you breathe is how you feel and I think it's so amazing. Like you can make yourself feel anxious by how you breathe. You can make yourself feel calm by how you breathe. You can trigger these responses because when you do feel anxious or when you do feel panic, like, and th th this came down to, there was, there was a researcher out in Stanford who she was able to, she had heart, or I think it was breath rate monitors or CO2 monitors on people. And she could tell an hour before they were going to have a panic attack, they were going to have a panic attack because of their breathing, because their breathing systems changed. Wow. So literally you can stimulate things by how you breathe, so. God, there's anyway. so many things we need to be aware of, isn't there, for health? I think yeah. if you get too caught up in them, you end up getting stressed. You're going to die anyway. Yeah. We're all going to die anyway. Breathe through your nose, eat plants, like more plants. Get out of sleep, do a gratitude journal, yeah, don't wear, forget to meditate. Wear barefoot shoes, like there's something else we're going to find out constantly. all these basic things. Make sure you took note of all that, right? And you'll be the perfect human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you get 10 I think do your best. Um, so anyway, like we're having a conversation with the wonderful, as you probably saw in the title of this thumbnail, uh, conversation with James Nestor, an international best-selling, this book, Breathe, which he wrote. 
He's a non-biased scientist, scientist, scientific journalist. So he didn't come into this with a biased kind of view that he's got product to sell or things. He literally wrote this book to try to like, and as the, the kind of subtitle of his book says, the new science of a lost art, because as he said, this stuff is 5,000 years old, breathing every single one of us do it every day of the week. We take an average of about 25,000 breaths a day, yet most of us do it mindlessly. We just do it. And yeah, this conversation is so important. I really think it's, you know, it's one that I'll really get my wife to listen to. I'll try to get my kids to try to apply them because I think this is fundamental to how we live our lives because everywhere we go, we breathe. So do your um, kids listen to your, this part to our podcast? Elsie used to listen to them. Yeah. Elsie she listened were. to a few of them. Yeah. Very evolved human yeah. being. But cool. then some of them had like bad words in them so she couldn't get them and she's got like a censored account, a kid's account. So No way, yeah. they do that. Yeah, they do. Yeah. That's clever. Yeah. yeah. So... Anyway. anyway, without further ado, we give you the wonderful James Nestor. But before we do, we want to tell you about our Good Health Revolution course. We've got our Good Health Revolution course. It's an online course, four weeks, starting April the 11th. We're doing it at 47% off. It's with a consultant, gastroenterologist, dietitian. And it's really all about supporting you in forming the habits to, to literally have a good health revolution for the better for your own health. So if you're interested, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. There's and loads of support, loads of live videos, and it really is to hold your hand. To yeah, we've had, we've had 25,000 people through this already. So uh, yeah, without further ado, we give you the wonderful James Nestor. Oh, well, thanks for agreeing to do this. It was great that we actually caught you on Instagram. You said you collect it once a month and it was like, yeah. About once Jackpot. a month. Yeah, my I have an assistant who looks through all that stuff. And uh, yeah, and I saw that and, and here we are. So happy yeah, it all worked great. out. Okay, well, thank you. Where, like, I think this is just such an important topic. I know it's so important for you getting this message out to people. I know at this stage, you've probably done thousands of podcasts and interviews and you're an incredible spokesperson for how we breathe. Because as you say, like we, the average person breathes around 25,000 times a day, yet most of us do it so mindlessly. And there's so many, you know, we can, we can all optimize it in so many ways. So maybe the first thing I'd love to chat with you about, James, is kind of going, what is the current state of how we breathe across our societies? Like, how do you see the average person breathing relative to how we could be breathing? Well, a lot of people think that since they are breathing, they're breathing fine. And this is what I thought. I said, as long as we're breathing, I'm, I'm doing it well. There, there's no such thing as good breathing and bad breathing. But I learned years and years ago from researchers that all you need to do is look at the percentages of the population who suffer from chronic respiratory problems. And you find that it's the majority of people. The majority of people have either chronic sinusitis or sleep apnea or snoring or asthma or COPD. So we've completely lost touch with our most basic biological function and we can still live by breathing poorly just like we can still live by eating poorly but that doesn't mean we're going to be healthy and so that was a big revelation for me i, I it was something i never thought about and uh I, the proof is all over the place you just need to walk around and, and watch people and uh, you see how dysfunctional our breathing is and, and in terms of even building on that so say 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 100% is the optimal gold standard Olympic breather. So say that's 100% or 10. And say the average person is, where would they be somewhere in the scale, like in terms of the capacity of improvement that the average person could make? Would they be more like a four or a six or a three or... Well, here's the sad thing is a lot of Olympians are really poor breathers. So I've worked with several elite trainers and found that these people can push through pain so they can perform really well for a few years and then they're completely wrecked. So I would put them in the clump of people who are uh, suffer from dysfunctional breathing. So many of, of the track runners and other Olympians and rowers suffer from breathing problems. So it's hard to, to give a blanket analysis on where everyone is because it's just like with eating. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that the vast majority of the public is is eating at one certain percent, but I, I can say that the number of people who breathe really well is so incredibly and depressingly low you would you would be shocked wow what well, one thing i i'm fascinated with is just nasal breathing because it's something that as a society we're not taught it was a friend tony riddle from london he used to tell his kids noses are for breathing mouths are for eating and i thought that was brilliant and he was teaching his kids that but it was the first time i'd heard that and i was age 36 at the time i wonder if you could talk about the importance of nasal breathing and what our nose actually does in terms of breathing compared to our mouth well yeah that's another thing is i had always thought that 
mouth breathing was the same as nose breathing. And you can talk to a lot of pulmonologists who will tell you this. They say air is air, and no matter how you get it in, you're fine. But that's that's fine to keep you alive again, but it's not fine to keep you healthy. So the main difference is that the nose really is designed to be breathing for the vast majority of time. You're supposed to be inhaling and exhaling through the nose. And we know this because all you need to do is to look at this incredibly ornate organ and see all of the different structures in it. So the air we take through the nose is heated, it's pressurized, it's filtered, and it's conditioned so that by the time it gets to our lungs, that air is vastly different than the air <gasps> raw air we take through our mouths and you can look at a cross section of a human skull or any mammalian skull and you see all of these different structures in the head in the sinus cavities that serve all these different functions and the mouth has none of these so i'm not saying if you breathe through your mouth you're forever going to be unhealthy you can breathe through your mouth on occasion and it's perfectly fine that's what it's there for but the vast majority of breaths should be in and out of your nose wow and i know in your book you had done study i can't remember if you'd done them on yourself or if you had other people had done no, it. did them on yourself where you actually think, blocked yeah, your nose for 10 your days your book is class it really is it's really really good and could you maybe talk about them where you taped your mouth and breathe it through your nose for a period of time and checked your health markers and then taped your nose and breathe it through your mouth could you maybe because i think that's the the raw data that can often be very relevant so Part of my research is I get pretty invested and interested in these subjects, and I get to know a lot of the researchers pretty well. And I got to know Dr. Jayak or Nyak down at Stanford, which is about 45 minutes from where I live here in San Francisco. And he's the chief of rhinology research, so really at the top of his field. He knew all of the different functions of the nose, right? He's a rhinologist. So that, that wasn't news to him. But what he didn't know was how quickly the damage from mouth breathing would come on. And the reason is nobody had done those studies. You can't really run a randomized clinical trial of 100 people mouth breathing and nasal breathing. No one's going to fund that. They've done these things with animals and they're, they're god awful. So I suggest nobody read those studies. So I volunteered for a study. He thought it was unethical, um, but I insisted and the the vast uh the the maximum number of people we could get was two so it was me <laughs> me and one other person he because we had to pay for this too stanford somehow didn't have money to to wow. do this study so and and it was not cheap now i realize why these studies don't get done because they're incredibly expensive so the short version is it was 10 days of mouth breathing there was crap filled up in my nose and silicone or a tape across the nostrils and then 10 days of nasal breathing and we compare data sets and we took every imaginable marker from blood work to pulmonary function tests sleep tests and more so that was the setup and wow for the results dun, dun, dun. that was good suspense i like, I like the way you that. didn't give it just all you like i just put that, that beat was in good right yeah. there so that was good now i'm not gonna tell you you have to read the book see <laughs> that's, i'll that's tell it. you i'll just tell you guys okay thank you we won't tell anyone we won't tell anyone else. And shut your ears oh yeah exactly but this is top secret so we knew it was going to be bad, right? Uh, no one thought that we were going to be better off mouth breathing, but we didn't know it was going to be so bad so quickly. And going into the study, I was talking to Anders, who is a Swedish breathing researcher who came out to do the study as well. And we were kind of laughing first couple of days. We're like, yeah, this sucks. Uh, you know, we got a few more days. It's going to be okay. Within a week, not a lot of laughs. I mean, it was really bad. So our sleep, we both started snoring and got sleep apnea from zero to having severe sleep problems. We were anxious. We were exhausted. Our athletic performance decreased. I mean, across the board, blood pressure went up. Every imaginable thing went wrong. And when we converted to nasal breathing, miraculously, 
our snoring and sleep apnea completely disappeared. So who knew that the pathway through which you breathe air can affect your snoring and sleep apnea? I didn't, uh, but the science is very clear on that, not just from our study, but from decades and decades of studies. Uh, blood pressure went down, athletic performance increased. I mean, just across the board. So uh, again, for the people who study this stuff, and there aren't many, they weren't surprised at all. They said, of course, this is what I've been talking about for decades, but to personally experience it, was something completely different and that's what we did and that's what i tried to explain in the book good one well done there's okay building on that so we've for years we've been saying like you know that the primary fuel source for humans it's not food it's not water it's actually oxygen you know primary fuel source is oxygen so obviously the people who perform better in terms of their breathing are more likely to have more energy because we all want energy and kind of when i was kind of over the last number of days i've been realizing that oh my god if we breathe shallow we're not like, and if we breathe shallow when we don't breathe into the full capacity of our lungs and don't breathe slow, we're not going to absorb as much oxygen. So therefore we're not going to have as much energy. Could you talk about that in the correlation between energy, slow breathing, you know, nasal breathing and building into breathing into the full of our lung capacity and its correlation between energy? Well, very good summary, by the way. Uh, what you said is a hundred percent true. So we have two ways of making energy. We can make it with oxygen, which is aerobic energy, and we can make it without oxygen, which is anaerobic. So you talk about uh, athletes and who are exercising at these extreme states, like zone upper zone four, zone five, and you can switch anaerobically to make energy and anaerobically is just using glucose so you don't have to use oxygen and our bodies do this for a reason so when we don't have oxygen in some areas of our body we can make energy but it's extremely inefficient and it creates uh, some bad waste products that can build up and cause problems which is why athletes don't want to run anaerobically for too long they want to run aerobically which is why they test their vo2 max so if you think about breathing and you think about this huge piston we have in our chest, it's called the diaphragm, and it goes up and down all the time. And if you're only allowing that piston to come down a little bit, that is going to force you to breathe so much more than if you were breathing deeper and having these longer strokes in your breath. If you're an athlete, especially, why the hell would you ever want to waste energy? You're supposed to be running efficiently. So by increasing the efficiency of your breathing, you're allowing yourself to get more energy more easily. And it turns out that we burn fat with oxygen. We can't burn fat anaerobically so that's another reason to want to breathe as efficiently as you can and make it really easy for all the cells of your body to get oxygen because that's what they need to run wow so it's not only just for energy it's for weight loss as well so like for anyone who wants to lose weight if you breathe more efficiently and and just to boil it down like so people will be kind of going well i breathe like i breathe every day like how do i become a better breather like what is it i didn't even know what a better breather is like i breathe i'm i like i'm alive like so so like from what i know it's breathing through your nose as steven said there and it's breathing longer slower breaths is that it that's it. And a lot of people think that there is some magic, very complicated uh, solution to all of this because humans love to overcome. And with a fancy name. Everything. Most people like a fancy with name. With a fancy, like multisyllabic name that's rooted in some Latin word that nobody can pronounce. You know, it's the same thing with what's happened with nutrition. We're just trying to overcomplicate things. But breathing does not need to be overcomplicated just because the rudiments of it of healthy breathing are very simple that doesn't mean it can't be extremely powerful so what i've told people is don't believe me just look to nature look at a healthy animal breathing look at your dog if your dog is healthy breathing during its sleep look at a healthy infant breathing look at a cheetah running at 100 kilometers per hour and how it's breathing they're all breathing through their nose and they're breathing slowly and they're breathing deeply so this is how our bodies are designed to take in breath and exhale it we're so divorced from our natural environment 
that we can no longer breathe this way. We wear tight clothes. We sit up in chairs in front of computers all day. We're stressed out. Some of us are overweight. We don't sleep very well. So we're completely divorced from our breathing, which is causing our bodies all of this unnecessary wear and tear throughout the day. And eventually they break down and we're seeing that all over the world. Wow. Breath is such Jeez, a central tool to it. It's such an important message. Like it really is. Even even this morning we were talking with a friend and he was he made the correlation between breath and saying, well, how you breathe is how you feel. And I thought like that's because like that sounds like that basic expression, like it's a one line expression. How you breathe is how you feel. And that's kind of going, well, OK, well, if I, most of us want to feel good most of the time or we want to feel relaxed and at ease. And if I can have some control in terms of that, in terms of my breath, well, obviously everyone would want to do this. Could you talk about that for a second and the validity of that phrase or not? Or maybe I'm talking crap. Uh, no, it's absolutely valid. So your breath is a reflection of your physiological state. So if you are stressed out, what happens to your breathing? <sighs> you either breathe too much or... <sighs> You hold your breath. <laughs> yeah. Why Why would we hold our breath if we were nervous? Why would we be breathing too much? Well, because our species evolved in an environment in which breathing was this key to ramp us up to either fight something off or to run away when we were in danger. So a warring tribe would come up, a lion would come up, a bear would come up. What do you do? You start to over breathe to ramp the body up to prepare it for that need of oxygen it will have when you are running away or you are fighting something off. Or what do you do? There's a warring tribe coming. There's a lion coming. <gasps> you be completely silent and you hold your breath. So we've carried these evolutionary reflexes along with us as we've entered into the industrial age. But our brains are responding to something from a very long time ago and our our lifestyles are so desensitized to actual fear that we have these responses when we're not in danger right you get an email that makes you angry you read the news it makes you depressed our breathing then reflects that state and the good news here is that you can hack your breathing to change your state as well. So that goes both ways. You can change your mental state, you can change your physical state, you can change your blood pressure, your heart rate, and all of that. So that's what really I was focusing on in this book is not just to acknowledge all of the bummer depressing stuff. You have to understand the core reasons of why we're breathing so poorly and why we're so unhealthy, right? So you have to address that. But then you need to focus on, well, what can I do about it right now? And part of that is acknowledging how you're breathing throughout the day and changing it to shift your mood or to shift your how your body is feeling and responding. Wow. Yeah, so, so saying that to say, say if I'm stressed and obviously, as you said there, when I'm stressed, my breath becomes shallow or either I stop breathing. So say Monday morning, nine o'clock. Oh, my God. Here I am at work. I open up my email. Oh, 50. Oh, Paddy emailed me. John, oh, I didn't get that email. And, and so immediately you feel stressed. So my breathing is most likely to become shallow or I'm going to stop breathing. And therefore, as a result, I will probably feel stressed. Whereas what you're saying is that if we can train ourselves to breathe slow, long breaths that are true our nose, we're probably going to feel less stressed. Well, you're absolutely going to feel less stressed. And you don't have to believe uh, your, your attitude. What you have to believe is data. So you can look at heart rate variability. You can look at your blood pressure. You can look at other measures of stress. And you see within even a few seconds of breathing, shifting your breathing, how your body responds. So right down the street from me at University of California of San Francisco, Dr. Margaret Chesney has been studying this for decades with the National Institute of Health. And she's found that office workers, about 80% of office workers suffer from something called email apnea. Apnea means the cessation of breathing. When you open up your inbox, you're like, oh my God, and you just stop breathing because you're focused, because you're nervous, because of whatever. And if you do this throughout the day, every day, it can have some of the same downstream health impacts 
as sleep apnea, where it affects your blood pressure, it affects your mood, it affects the level of depression you have, on and on and on. So this is not some new age uh, woo-woo stuff. This, this is basic physiology of how the body operates and how you can hack in and change that for the better. Yeah, wow, because it's something that uh, back a number of years ago we started meditating and, you know, you, we started with Anapana, it was called, which was just focusing on your breath and starting to become awareness. Which nostril were you coming in and was it touching the nasal hairs and how was it? It, it kind of was to make your breath was the tool to connect you with the present moment. When the world around you was becoming stressed, challenging, etc., typically your breath became you know, sped up significantly and if you could come back to your breath, you could kind of control your state within the craze around us. Um, I wonder if you could talk about how breath is often at the foundation of many spiritual practices and it's at the root of meditation and it's often forgotten. We always think it's mantras or it's something really complicated, but breath can be such a, an anchor to the present moment. Well, I don't know any meditation that doesn't first have you focus on your breathing. Like I can't imagine going into a dark room, sitting down and just breathing the way you would be in front of your email, just <sighs> and holding your breath. It just doesn't exist. So I've talked to a lot of psychologists about this, talked to some neurologists about it, and they're all convinced and I'm convinced as well that the initial benefits that we get from meditation are tied directly to how we breathe in those moments of meditation. It has much less to do with the mindfulness. Later on, that ability to focus the mind, yes, you can do a lot of things. You can lower your heart rate by just using your mind. But those benefits at the beginning for, I would say, the first year, maybe first year and a half, are tied directly to the way in which you breathe. So you can breathe in these same ways that you're meditating and still have most of the benefits. A lot of people say, that's impossible. I only get these benefits from meditating. Try it out. <laughs> breathe the same way you would be in the slow, long focus on your breath and watch a Bruce Willis movie and <laughs> breathing this way. I was just trying to think of the most awful thing you could possibly do. And that's what popped into mind. And, and you, you can watch and, you know, we have all these wonderful wearables now that can look at your heart rate and your, uh, your oxygen levels and your heart rate variability and blood pressure and all of that. And you can just see what happens. So I want to be very clear. I'm not poo-pooing meditation. Meditation is so extremely powerful. But those initial benefits you get are tied to breathing. So there's there's a reason why so many cultures throughout the world, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, every major culture from the Greeks to Native Americans to ancient Hindus to ancient Chinese and more, they respected breathing as not only a spiritual practice, but as necessary to be healthy. And they developed these very elaborate systems to force you to breathe slowly, to breathe deeply, to breathe calmly. And those systems are called prayers. And so many of these prayers lock into the same respiratory rate. You cannot recite these prayers unless you're breathing at a very specific rate. And it turns out that specific breathing rate has all of these wonderful, actually healing effects to the body. Wow, wow, I love that. She's, yeah, like, like, in, I, like in Plum I, Village, I, they used to, a friend, um, he used to be a monk in Plum Village and they used to every hour, they'd bing, the bell would go and it was straight away back to your breath. No matter what you're doing, back to your breath. And again, it was just that simple tool of the breath anchoring yourself to the present moment. But like what we're talking about here and this is why I think your work, what you're doing is so incredible because like, like what, what you've said so far is that like, so breath can change our moods it can massively improve our health, it can improve our sleep, it can improve our relationship with ourselves, and it also is a key to our spiritual practice, which ultimately is having a better relationship with yourself. So it sounds like this thing, breath, which is free, that most of us don't do very well, can have as big a transformative effect as any change people can make, assuming that most people are bad breathers. All of that is true, but I want to be very clear that I am not a doctor. I'm not prescribing this that, hey, any problem you have, stage four cancer, all you got to do is breathe, everybody. It's cool. I would never, ever say that. Breathing in a healthy way will only benefit you, okay? I can say that. It may benefit you a very small amount. It may completely change your life and transform you, but it's only a net gain. So everyone is different. 
everybody breathes differently everyone has a slightly different problem you will benefit from better breathing you'll have to find out for yourself how much you will benefit and as you mentioned yes this is something we do all the time from the moment you're born to the moment you die all day long all night long so if you can improve your breathing in that process you will definitely benefit and i found people who have massively transformed their health hundreds and hundreds of them they write me every day by just fixing their breathing so so okay so say taking that so say if i'm training to run a marathon i'm not a runner i kind of go okay i want to improve my running rate and i start and i do 5k and then two weeks later i do 10k and i i build up and i do my trainings and i got a full training plan so say for example me i'm that kind of a person so anyone that's listening and going okay i'm totally into this this sounds amazing james i'm i'm up for it i'm i don't know whether i'm going to get a little improvement or mass improvement how do i go about it like i you know we know the basics are it's a long, slow breath. It's breathing through your nose. And, and how do I like, how do I measure the improvement? What is a benchmark and how do I become a better breather? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. So what you want to be doing is be, you want to be breathing within your metabolic needs. Uh, which means you don't want to be over breathing. You don't want to be under breathing. Well, what does that mean? That's a really hard thing to constantly be measuring. Luckily, we have something to measure that for us. It's our noses. So our noses control the amount of breath that comes in and out of our bodies. And if you are training to run a marathon, if you are a jogger, I can tell you one of the biggest gains in performance you will get if you are a mouth breather is to convert to nasal breathing. This has been around for decades and decades. The science is there. This is the number one thing that elite trainers are doing now. They're looking at breathing and they're fixing breathing. Converting to nasal breathing is easier said than done, especially for someone who has nasal issues. So again, I want to say everyone's different. Some people have structural problems in their noses. Some people just haven't used them in a long time. So they learn how to breathe through their mouths all the time. But breathing through the mouth, as I mentioned, is not efficient. And if you're running for three hours, you need to be looking at efficiency. A lot of people are focused on their shoes, which are very important. They're focused on their strides. But what is the thing that is providing you energy when you're running a marathon? It is your breathing and you need to get the right amount of energy at the right time and not use it all up. If you look at elite runners, if you look at Kimpoji or, you know, ran a two hour marathon, look at how he's breathing. Even at the very end, right? His shoulders are relaxed. His mouth may be open a teeny bit, but he's just cruising along <laughs> and he's very, you don't see him. <laughs> as you see with so many other people running 5Ks or marathons, it's because he's controlling his breathing. This guy is the best in the world. So that is what I would do. And it's hard to give someone a blanket prescription on you do this, this, and this, and then you do this, this, and this, because people have different noses. They have different problems. They have different breathing issues. That's why it's great to have a trainer, but there are some things you can do and you can just start off when when you're not exercising by focusing on breathing through your nose as often as you can that means in front of the computer that means especially at night and that will condition you and make that transition to nasal breathing when you're running a lot easier and yeah. and in terms of the measurements you tape your nose your yeah like I, I tape my i've been taping my mouth for about three or four years but that's and maybe maybe you can validate this because we were we were arguing what discussing, discussing slightly heatedly uh, as twins do um like we both sleep in the exact same position we sleep in a slightly fetal position facing down um we don't suck our thumbs anymore but we're <laughs> lying on our fronts anyway and I was saying to Steve that, well, gravity is weighing down on top of you. Like when you're sleeping on your front, like it's hard to breathe through your nose because your lung capacity is far left. Like, so I find when I sleep in my front, I'm like, my mouth is wide open and I'm swallowing flies. And Stephen was saying, no, when I lie on my front, I can breathe through my nose and all is well in the world. And I was saying, I don't believe that. Like, so I was wondering in terms of like, he's just like wondering I, which twin is right. Which James? twin is right. So that, that's part of the question. And then the second one was about um, taping your mouth. Maybe you could talk about that because you give good validity to that you guys are both right okay neither of you we love you wrong. james Yay! 
It's called diplomacy, everybody. That's, you sound like our mother, James. <laughs> she was a wise woman. Uh, so uh, sleep tape, yes, breathing through your nose, especially at night, is so important. Check out the science on that. Check out how it affects your snoring and sleep apnea and breathing efficiency. It's all very clear. Now, sleeping on the side is supposed to be the best. So especially if you have uh, breathing issues at night, if you snore, have sleep apnea, sleeping on the back is bad news. And also that that inhibits the airflow into your lungs, which is why COVID patients who were once placed on their backs are now placed on their sides or on their stomachs. Because that expansion that occurs in our chest, okay? Some of it happens in the front, but most of it happens in the back. And you can feel that if you feel your back and take a big breath in. So if you're lying on your back, it makes it harder for those lungs to easily inflate. So sleeping on your belly is fine. Sleeping on your side is great as well. Uh, the most important thing, in my opinion, is that you're not snoring or have sleep apnea because both those things will completely wreck your health. And the second most important thing is that you're breathing through your nose. And so that sleep tape uh, is free. It's available to everyone. I wish I would have marketed, you know, James Nestor's sleep tape last year. I think I'd be uh, calling in from a yacht in Monaco, but I didn't. <laughs> absolutely free to everybody. Uh, Patrick McEwen's uh, myotape works wonderful. Uh, you can try that as well. But what this is, is it just, it's a reminder to keep your mouth shut at night. And people say, oh, I don't, you know, I feel like I'm in a hostage situation. This stuff will come right off if you just go, that's what it's designed to do. So it's just a reminder to keep your mouth shut. So what you're doing sounds perfectly fine for me. If you wake up and you're breathing through your mouth, that's not fine. You need to find a sleeping position that will allow you to be breathing through your nose with that tape on. But beyond that, it seems okay. Yeah, because I find I don't put a postage size stamp bit. Like I literally tape it up like I'm taping a parcel. Like, <laughs> like I really do. I've got like, you know, it's properly like this mouth ain't gonna open but then when i wake up in the morning it's like oh my god i get out again you know, so it's, so I don't, I don't know how to how to crack the code well different strokes for different folks whatever's working for you is just fine i like a very teeny piece of tape that works well for me i've seen some people who love rocking the huge fat <laughs> across their mouths they say this is the only way i'm not going to get in the middle of that it's working for them they're able to keep it on all night that's that's the key and some people even use chin straps which have been around for hundreds of years chin straps so they put the strap on their head so they are forced to breathe through their nose. Works for them. That's fine. Oh, maybe I need to try that. That's like level two sleep tape. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, Chin that's strap. Maybe that's, I'll get you. But even back on that one. So so back to that topic of kind of going, okay, so I want to become a better, a better breather. Like I really do because I realize that it's so central to health and so many there's so many benefits to come from it and i kind of gone okay how do i measure that my breath that my quality of breathing is improving because if like we're 42 and we're kind of going okay well if we've had 42 years of mindlessly breathing as the average person does like how do i go about improving it like is there some program how do i measure that it's getting better well, the first thing you're going to notice is you're going to feel a lot better. You're going to be a lot more focused. And especially at night, when you go from being a mouth breather to a nasal breather, your sleep quality will increase sometimes dramatically uh, within a few days. And so a lot of people say in this day and age, well, give me the data. I don't believe myself. This is a placebo effect. Fine. There are so many different wearables you can get that can track your sleep, that can track your respiratory rate, that can track your blood pressure, your heart rate variability. You can buy as many of these things as you want. I have them all. My house is filled with this crap. And so I'm constantly tracking how different things are affecting my body. I'm not using that as proof of anything, right? This is just for my own personal interest. What you have to do is to look at studies and look at what studies of broad populations, how sleep and how breathing has affected them. And those studies exist. I have them all listed for free on my website. And you can also talk to the experts in the field who have been saying this for decades and decades. So 
then the next thing is, well, what wearable do I get? You know, all of them have strengths. A lot of them have a lot of weaknesses. What they provide is a general view of how you're functioning. If you're looking for medical grade data, you are not going to get it from these off the shelf wearables. Uh, I can tell you that much. But if you're looking for a general summary of how you're doing your sleep quality and more, you can buy these wearables and uh, you're going to feel it. And if that's not important enough for you, you can see the data every morning and at the end of every day and to see how you're improving uh, by adopting healthy breathing habits. And in terms of metrics, like I know when I look at my wearable, it says that, oh, the average t amount of breaths per minute is somewhere between 12 and 18. And I know that that's like the average. And as you've kind of said, the average person is not you know, uh, breathing as optimally as we could be. So I'm kind of going, okay, if I'm using a benchmark and going, okay, if my wearable says 12 to 18, like what is an optimal kind of amount to breathe in a minute? Or yeah, is there what, a number? What, what I've found is I have not found one wearable that has accurate respiratory rate. And I've tested these things. And it's been so frustrating that they're telling people, I, I remember getting one, I won't mention them, uh, but it was, it was saying that I was breathing at 18 breaths per minute. I said, well, that is totally false. So I unplugged it, uploaded all the data, wore this thing focusing on six breaths a minute. Okay. Focusing. I had a headset on focusing on six breaths a minute, came back and said, you're breathing 18 breaths a minute. So, so uh, I just kind of threw out that data. Um, but some wearables are a little more accurate. If they're saying 12 to 18 breaths a minute, that's, that's not really helpful at, at all. If you're down to around 12 breaths a minute, that's great. You can at, and, and I want to be clear that when you're jogging, you're going to be breathing very differently than when you are sitting on the couch watching Netflix, right? When you're sleeping, you're going to be breathing very differently than you are walking around town. So your breathing rate is going to shift throughout the day. That's really good because your metabolic needs, your needs for energy shift and your breathing shifts with that. That's, that's how it should work. So at rest, anywhere from eight to, I would say, 12 to 13 breaths a minute is great. There are still people that are healthy in the 15 breaths a minute because you're not only looking at the number of breaths, you're looking at the volume of air. I've found that the lower is better. If you look at yogis, if you look at very chill people, if you look at top athletes that know how to breathe well, their respiratory rates are extremely slow and their breathing is very soft and deep. You never notice these people breathing. So if ever you're on the tube or you're around town and you notice someone breathing with their shoulders like this, that is not healthy breathing. Healthy breathing at rest is imperceptible. It's extremely calm and soft. So that's Even what you should look for. Even when you say it, like it makes me kind of be more cognizant of my breath and go for the, one of those deep, really slow ones. And even doing it, you feel more like I'm sitting by a river. I can hear the birds singing. Ah, all is well, all is well. So, so it sounds like, okay, for, for anyone that wants to improve their breathing, nasal breathe, be very cognizant of at nighttime, tape your mouth if you want to be concerned about it. Um, and then slower, the really slower, like as you said, the, the, lower, the lower beats per minute or heart, or Breath. breaths per minute typically is associated with the better so th those are some of the basics which is brilliant amazing and uh, like I've got a question about the actual process of breathing and kind of going okay we breathe in oxygen we breathe in oxygen and we breathe out carbon dioxide which is carbon and two parts oxygen and kind of going there's some kind of process that happens there that it's almost like a symbiotic balancing relationship that when the oxygen comes in like the, there's some the carbon dioxide is a trigger maybe you could talk about because like most of us have associated oxygen as being oh this is this is so essential this is what we need and then carbon dioxide is kind of poo-pooed as the kind of negative which we don't want but i know carbon dioxide it plays a very important role as well in terms of our breathing process could you maybe talk about carbon dioxide a little bit yeah, people seem to have been so obsessed with oxygen levels, which, which are incredibly important in the body, right? When you're losing, when your oxygen levels go down, when you're sick or you're at altitude, that's, that's really bad news. So that's a very important thing to pay attention to. But what people don't pay attention to is their carbon dioxide levels. So we need CO2 in order to offload oxygen to our cells. 
And if we are deficient in CO2, if we don't have enough of it, we make it much harder for our bodies to get energy. This stuff is so counterintuitive and so confusing, it took me months to get my head around it. But this is basic biochemistry, and we've known it for more than 120 years. So when you look at, I don't know if these were out in, in Ireland, but in, in the US here in San Francisco, especially, this huge trend about 10 years ago was these oxygen bars where you yeah. go in and you sit in this very uh, dark room and they've got some like synthesizer heart music playing and, uh, you know, it's real groovy and they've got some lava lamps and you sit there and you breathe oxygen for about an hour and then they charge you about $70 for that. For a healthy person, that's doing absolutely nothing zero because your oxygen levels are already at 97 or 98 percent that one percent of oxygen in your bloodstream isn't going to do anything it's about getting that oxygen in your bloodstream into your hungry cells and you need carbon dioxide to do that so to be clear oxygen when you're sick if you have emphysema if you're at altitude if you have covid is essential because your oxygen levels are getting low you need that little extra boost but for people who are healthy and have healthy oxygen what turns out to be the case is they are over breathing so they have high oxygen levels in their bloodstream <sighs> and you can get that by over breathing but they're not offloading that oxygen to their cells and so they're in this weird state of oxygen deprivation through different areas of their body and those areas of their body may be running anaerobically which is bad so the short version of this is that you need a balance. This is the yin and yang of oxygen and carbon dioxide. You don't want too much oxygen and too little carbon dioxide. You don't want too little oxygen and too much carbon dioxide. You want a balance. And this is what nasal breathing helps you do. It controls the amount of oxygen coming in and it holds it a little longer so you can build up that healthy balance of carbon dioxide. And you can see, see the power of carbon dioxide right now if you were just to breathe extremely slowly, three breaths a minute, very slowly. If you feel that urge to breathe, that's a good thing. So even if you're holding your breath a little, that's good. You're going to notice, you're going to say, my God, you know, my fingers and toes, they feels like they're warming up. The back of my neck feels like it's becoming more flush. It's because it is. You're opening up the blood vessels in these areas by increasing that carbon dioxide. So it's so important and people have not been talking about it. Is that to do with nitric oxide that when you do, you know, the way, you know, the way nitric oxide dilates the blood vessels so it'll improve blood flow. And when you have have, when you do that like as low as three breaths is that you know because I, I know circulation like we swim in the sea every morning and it's cold here in Ireland so circulation is really important most of us come out our hands are freezing our feet are freezing Sarah's here beside us she doesn't swim in winter sometimes because her feet get too cold and I'm going lots of us will drink warm tea or we'll like I go home and have a foot bath and I know in terms of like that you're talking about carbon dioxide and, and and I know there's a nitric oxide element to it and if we do slow our breath right down does that improve blood flow and improve circulation to toes and hands and extremities yes it does and it and it does that by increasing your carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide is this very powerful vasodilator but if we're talking about nitric oxide, so nitric oxide is this miraculous molecule uh, that was identified in the 90s. And that's why right after the 90s into the 2000s, all of these drugs for erectile dysfunction came out, Viagra and Cialis. Guess how those drugs work? They increase your body's ability to make nitric oxide. So nitric oxide is is how those work and how nitric oxide works is it's an extremely powerful vasodilator just like co2 and it increases blood flow and you know where in in those those organs uh in the southern regions of our bodies so nitric oxide will get about six times more nitric oxide inhaling and exhaling through the nose that will make compared to mouth breathing and if you hum you get about 15 
times more nitric mm. oxide. Like humming like... Humming like that. So when you guys get out of the water, I surf at Ocean Beach here in San Francisco all the time, and it's free and it's freezing right now. When you get out of the water, you can hum. And by humming, that's also going to slow down your breathing, right? It's going to keep that air in a little longer. It's going to allow those that CO2 to build up a little more. And this is this works incredibly well. Uh, you can try it out. You're going to look like a freak, but you're already swimming in the ocean in wintertime. So yeah, people yeah, already know freaks, you're a freak. Yeah. Yeah, you're, that's you're comfortable am, with that. That's, am, that's amazing. So simply humming, it, it'll hold the breath in I for longer. I think our group of swimmers, we should start a humming choir. We come out of the water and we're like humming penguins. Mm. You will be surprised that this, this actually has an effect on your circulation. And it calms your body down as well. Because that humming allows more vagal tone to occur in your body. And the vagus nerve is the one that stimulates the relaxation response. Jeez, I love this, James. This is amazing. It's pure class. It really is. And and you just mentioned there mentioned there the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve, how I know it, like it it comes from the gut to the brain. So it like it's part of that gut brain axis. But I believe it also goes to the other organs, and it's almost like like a central highway of information to the brain. And what is the correlation between breath, our breathing? And this super powerful vagus nerve. Maybe you, you you know more about the vagus nerve than we do. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that and about the correlation between breath, please. breathing and the vagus nerve. If you could, please. And thank you, James. So the vagus nerve goes to every single essential organ in your body. And vagus comes from vagrant. So so it it's a wander. It wanders all around. And the vagus nerve is the main highway that your organ and the brain are able to communicate. And when we're stressed, what the vagus nerve does is it turns off those organs that are not essential to our immediate survival. So when we're running from a tiger or when we're fighting someone off, we don't need access to our sexual organs or our kidneys, or our digestion in our stomach, right? So the vagus nerve shuts off those organs, essentially puts them in a, in a comatose state as it shifts the energy and the blood flow to the skeletal muscles and the brain and the heart where you need to be able to fight. The problem is that people are chronically stressed throughout the day and throughout the night. So the vagus nerve is always shutting off those other organs that are not essential for immediate survival, which is why people who are stressed have digestion problems, which is why people who are stressed have sexual problems, which is, so you you see where I'm going with this. You want to have those organs online and the vagus nerve is the pathway through which they're able to go offline and online. Now, I'm gonna mention why breathing is so important. That vagus nerve goes right along the throat, okay? That's how it descends into our uh, chest cavities and and ties in all of our organs so we can stimulate that vagus nerve by going "Mm," just humming gives that vagus nerve the right vibrations and sends the body messages that it's safe that you're in a place where you can relax that those other organs can come online So breathing is another very powerful function for affecting vagal tone and affecting the vagus nerve because right now you can place your hand over your heart. You can inhale to a breath of about two and then you're going to exhale to a breath of about 10 to 12. So you just go... And as you inhale very shortly, your heart rate goes up. And as you exhale very long, you're going to feel your heart rate go down. That is your body responding to the way in which you're breathing. And the vagus nerve is then getting messages that the other organs can come back online because you're in a place 
of safety. So this is not my theory. It's not my hypothesis. I learned so much of this from Dr. Stephen Porges, who has been teaching this stuff and studying it for 30 years. And I would suggest everyone check out his work because it's amazing. So that's how breathing and humming tie into this. So if you're humming, you're breathing slowly. So you got the breathing figured out, but you're also stimulating that vagal response. You're increasing your nitric oxide. You're increasing your circulation. You're warming yourself and you're chilling yourself out. Why the hell wouldn't you be humming people? I love that. Chris, and it like, makes little sense because like, you know, when you come in, like say you've had a busy day and you come in and you kind of sit down and the first thing you do is you go, ah, <laughs> it's a sigh. It's like, it's a big exhale. And that's like telling your organs, come on back online, dudes. Where it's all good, we're safe. That's exactly right. And speaking of sighing, which is very tied into this, Dr. Andrew Huberman down at Stanford has been studying this for years and years. He's a big star now. When I met him, he, he wasn't, but now he has his own podcast and he's doing incredible work. He's found the, the most effective way of taking care of stress and anxiety, more than any pill, any powder, anything for immediate stress and anxiety is you breathe in twice you force yourself to sigh what you just did you force yourself to do that so you breathe in twice and then you just let the breath fall out don't force it out you just let it naturally fall out so i love that and you just let it fall out do that three or four times and then go to a respiratory rate of about six breaths for, per minute. So that's about five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out. You can feel what happens to your body at those times. So whenever someone cuts you off in traffic, whenever you're in an airport, whenever you see an email that's stressing you out, let it out and this is not a placebo effect if you want to you can measure what happens to your body when you do this it is available for everyone all the time and it can really transform your relationship with stress and anxiety what i know if, I, if, Nestor, if andrew I huberman is uh, proponing it like it must be so data and scientific driven because he is all about the data trails so it ain't going to be some he, kind of... he, he, he doesn't. This is not a guy wearing a tie dye shirt in Sedona, Arizona. You know, he is he is 100 percent about the science and he's been studying this for a long time and he is very interesting in breathing. So interested in breathing because, you know, the drugs work. They do work, but they take a while to get there and they have side effects. What people who are anxious and stressed need is they need help right then at that second that stress is coming on. And that's where breathing can be a very powerful tool. Wow. It's so important. Can, what you're can saying. I, I know we're getting closer on time wise. I wonder, can we talk a little bit about asthma? Because it's something that's quite prolific and often breathing. It's, you know, we grew up at least in Little Ireland where it was inhalers. People used to always turn to and their typical cortisol um, inhalers. Um, I wonder if you could talk about the relationship between breath and people's asthma decreasing and their, their even their Sarah who's here, Sarah who organized this, she had asthma as a child and her mom was way ahead of the time. She had her breathing, like holding her breath in the swimming pool and and yeah, nasal breathing and all sorts of things like this. So yeah, it'd be great to hear your take on it. Yeah, this was a, something that was fascinating. I was so surprised that I hadn't heard about it earlier. But for the past 70 years, various pulmonologists, cardiologists, other breathing researchers have found that an extremely effective way of reducing the symptoms of asthma, and in some extraordinary cases, entirely curing, quote unquote, curing people of asthma. Asthma is supposed to not be a curable condition, right? Once you have it, you're supposed to have it your whole life. <laughs> I've got tens of thousands of people that, that can tell you otherwise. So a lot of people aren't looking at the way in which we are breathing. And it turns out that how does an asthma attack come on? It is usually preceded by someone breathing. Oh my God. I'm having trouble breathing. I'm having an attack. <sighs> and then you have an attack. 
So when you overbreathe like that, you cause that vasoconstriction. You cause constriction in your muscles. You exacerbate the attack. The exact same thing happens with anxiety and a panic attack. Oh, I'm getting panicked. I need to breathe more to get rid of this panic attack. The opposite happens. So we've known for a very, very long time that controlling your breathing, breathing through your nose, breathing more slowly, breathing in a paced way, forcing yourself to breathe less can greatly reduce the symptoms of asthma. And as I mentioned, and some people after a few months of doing this have had no symptoms of asthma. Now, there is a lot of BS online about people saying that they can teach you this in five minutes, just send them 20 bucks. This is a complex system to learn. You can call it Buteco, you can call it breath retraining. It's got all these different names. It's best to go with someone who is qualified and who has experienced training asthmatics in this breathing. But the premise is by breathing less, you increase your carbon dioxide levels, you increase your relaxation response, and you have less need for bronchodilator use and oral steroids. And I have seen this time and time again. There are NIH studies showing this. And there are dozens and dozens of clinical trials showing how effective this is. The most shocking thing to me is that asthmatics aren't taught Many aren't taught anything about breathing. They're given a bronchodilator sent on their way. And uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, breathing will help you. It may help you a little bit. It may completely transform you, but it's at least worth giving it a try because it's free and available to everybody. Yeah, it's amazing. Such a miracle. Then, then if someone is coming on with a panic attack, I, I think I, I heard you say previously that rather than trying to breathe more quicker and try to get it all in, Actually, hold your breath is probably the best thing to do and to kind of calm it down. Isn't that if someone, you know, listening struggles with panic attacks? Yeah, the worst advice we ever gave asthmatics and people struggling from panic attacks was just take a deep breath, man. Just take a few more breaths. That's the very last thing you should be doing. So a very effective intervention for panic and asthma is to breathe less, to take these very small breath holds. It's no coincidence that the vast majority of people with asthma and panic have very low CO2 levels. Hmm, why do they have very low CO2 levels? Because they're over breathing all the time. So a very good way of training yourself to increase your CO2 tolerance, which is very helpful, is you hold your breath, until you feel some some real discomfort and maybe that's 10 seconds maybe that's 20 seconds let's say your maximum breath hold until you feel some real discomfort it's 20 seconds then you half that and you hold your breath throughout the day for 10 seconds okay and you just get comfortable with this and when that attack starts to come on instead of breathing more you breathe through your nose focus on your breath don't, for a lot of people, holding their breath will freak them out too much because they are so sensitized to any jump in CO2. So they found that breathing more slowly, for some people that's breathing at a rate of about three seconds in, three seconds out. For others, it's about five seconds in, five seconds out. You can then have a little breath hold at the end of that exhale. I don't wanna give specific numbers because everyone's different, right? But the key here is to start, instead of allowing your breath to uh, overbreathe too much and, and get completely out of control, start controlling it and, and focusing on it and breathing less. And I think you'll be surprised what a big effect that can have on your body and on your condition. Amazing. Okay. Okay. Last question. I'm, I'm, can I say, can I? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, so I'm fascinated with this. I really am. And I'm just wondering, like, are there measurements that you track in terms of your own breathing? Like you've obviously been in this for five or 10 years or longer. You've been deep down this well. And I'm kind of going for someone who's new to it. I'm going, okay, well, I'd love to track that I'm improving, that my breathing, that I'm becoming more efficient. And, you know, you've mentioned nasal breathing, taping my mouth, you know, maybe starting to run with nasal breathing, trying to slow down to where I've got five to six breaths a minute. Like, are there any other things that you track, like when you're curious in terms of 
improving your breathing because I really do see it it's like if this could be a if this was a medicine it would become a billion dollar medicine overnight because so many people are used to well if I pay for something it's much more valuable but if it's free it's like oh well then it's not that important so but I really think this can change so many people's health and well-being and stress and anxiety and I'm I'm just fascinated to learn more about it I really am well, the most important marker is carbon dioxide. And fortunately, the only machines that you can buy to measure your carbon dioxide are like $4,000. So I suggest people, you can do that if you want, but um, they're they're pretty clumsy. They, uh, they're, they're hard to operate. So what we have to do is look at the downstream effects of how breathing is helping you right it's it's almost like eating you look at well have i lost weight do i feel better do i have more energy that's the gauge for for healthy breathing you're a lot of people aren't necessarily looking at their blood glucose every second of every day you you judge it by by how you feel later on so breathing is good for that tracking your sleep quality how much deep sleep you get how much rem you get i think that's very important tracking your heart rate variability uh, can be a good marker of your breathing health because your breathing is allowing you to de-stress whether or not you're working out or whether or not you're just sitting around. So that's a good one as well. And But it, it comes down to, to really how you're feeling. That data is very important. Uh, you can look at blood pressure too. For some people, breathing has been very effective. You can reduce some salt in your diet. That's a little controversial. I'm a big fan, and at least here in America, we're eating way too much salt. So reduce some salt get your breathing in control there's been some interesting studies in that but it's it essentially comes down to to how you're feeling and how you're able to function throughout the day the good news is from what i've seen this stuff is not subtle people it very seldom are people like hmm i think it's helping me a little bit i'm not quite sure the responses people get are dramatic, especially in the sleep department. So you're going to see it. You, you'll see it in, in your data, but you'll see it also in your face and you'll feel it in your body and you'll feel it in your mood and in your energy levels. And that's your body responding to be able to do something more efficiently that you haven't been doing efficiently 20,000 times a day. If you can just increase your efficiency by 5%, by 10%, of course, that's going to make an effect on your general health. And that's what we've been seeing in, in decades of studies in science. James Nestor, you are brilliant. I have You're absolutely like, loved this conversation. It's, You're it's super cool. It's just like I feel like something's awoken inside me, some sort of curiosity and kind of gone, oh my God, here's such a key to the puzzle. Like the puzzle of life, I don't know how many pieces there are in it, but this is definitely, it's such an important um, message and something I will treasure. So I'm so grateful. Thank you guys very much for having me on. And uh, as we said at the beginning, this stuff doesn't need to be overcomplicated to work. Sometimes the simplest things are the most effective, and that's certainly true about our breathing. Brilliant. And is there any, anything going on for you that you'd like to mention or anything beyond your wonderful book, international bestseller called Breathe? Um, we're trying to work on a, a miniseries uh, somewhat related to this stuff. I got another book in mind that it's way too soon to talk about. But if people are, are claiming BS that I'm just making this stuff up, you are welcome to go to my website. No, I'm not collecting your email address or there are no ads on it. All of the scientific studies are available for free. My publisher allowed me to do that. There are videos with uh, leading experts in breathing, Harvard professors and more. There are breathing techniques. There's no paywall. It's available for everyone. If you're apprehensive, you can, you can start there. Amazing. James Nestor, you're wonderful. Your Thank class. you so much for your time. You're brilliant. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks a lot, guys. Be well. Thanks, James. Yeah, you Have too. a great day. Keep it up. Bye. Breathe well, not it? That was amazing. I am so inspired and I am breathing deeply and I am breathing through my mouth as much as I can. Yeah, and I just really want to learn more about this because it's lit, as I mentioned there, it's just lit a, f a passion under me. So James, as you heard there, total gentleman and his book is called Breath. Uh, it's an international bestseller and it's a wonderful read. I'd highly recommend. He goes to in much more detail and what a gem. I definitely want to have more podcasts with people about breath work because yeah. I think it's just such a basic, you... Uh, utilitarian thing something that's a, utilitarian. I, I think that word is like it's probably wrong but it's accessible to everyone and we all have it every day the minute it's free 
and how we can do it better if it's going to give a five percent five to ten percent improvement in our health and well-being well then what a tool so yeah, yeah yeah absolutely there we go um anyway just to finish and if we still have your attention we have a good health revolution course starting on april 11th as a society we need a good health revolution this will hold your hand this will support you consultant gastroenterologist dietitian holistic health practitioner and mindfulness as well as ourselves yeah so it's starting april the 11th it runs for four weeks it's online we've got a great community and support so if you're interested there's a link down below in the show notes and you'll find it out about in our website and it's gonna be brilliant we'll have hopefully more than a thousand people doing it and we're gonna support one another and it really will be a hugely positive catalytic experience so thanks mill and if you enjoyed this podcast please share it and we'll share it uh, on instagram as well so thanks Thanks, mill wishing you a great day bye 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 bye